The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I'm Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afsharirad. Today we bring you Jeremy Como's interview with Timothy Zahn about the latest installment in the Icarus saga, The Icarus Twin. Let's take a look. And welcome everyone to another episode of the Bain Free Radio Hour. I am your host, Jeremy Como. Uh, and that is enough about me. Let's get to the reason why you're here today. Uh, this man needs no introduction, uh, but I'm going to do my best anyway. This is uh, Timothy Zahn for the Uninitiated. Um, and uh, his latest book that we're going to talk about today, uh, The Icarus Twin. And he is a, a if you don't know, <laughs> if you haven't been around, uh, he's a, a world famous author, uh, uh, one of his uh what you might know him from is his uh, Star Wars uh, books, including the Star Wars trilogy uh, of Thrawn, Thrawn, sorry. And uh, he's an award-winning uh, best New York Times best-selling author, Mr. Timothy Zahn. Welcome, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So um, we're here to talk about your latest book, uh, The Icarus Twins, which is a part of the series. Yes. And uh, am I right? It's the second book in the series? Yes. Now, technically, it's kind of the third, but we're now treating this series, starting with the Icarus plot, as a six-book series with the 20-year-old Icarus Hunt as a prequel to it. Yeah. A prequel you do not have to read before you start the series. Everything you need is folded in uh, to this these new books. Yeah. And of course, for all of you watching now, um, the uh, you see the cover over my shoulder here. Uh, it, it, this book is available now. Go out, buy it. I read it. It's awesome. Uh, and that's without reading the first book. I'm going to go back and read the first book. So, um, Incidentally, so one other thing. There are, I've, I've crafted this series, starting with the Icarus plot, to not have spoilers for Icarus Hunt. So you can read them out of order without knowing exactly what's going to happen. So oh, that's uh, awesome. there should be some mysteries in the first book, even if, if you read it second or third. Awesome. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's get into it. I mean, we're, we're looking at the cover. Can you can you describe uh, this and, and what's going on and what kind of it alludes to in the book potentially? Okay, the, the portals that are at the heart of the whole Icarus saga, alien portals that were left by an unknown race, uh, there's, we, we have found three or four of them, they're scattered around uh, the, the, uh, the section of galaxy that we and a lot of other races live in. Uh, you go into the small, you can see the two conjoined uh, spheres on the cover, you go into the small one, you set a destination, you ride up an extension arm to the center, and you're instantly teleported to whatever large sphere, the receiver module that you coded in. So they are an instantaneous, well, okay, two or three seconds, uh, essentially instantaneous pathway over hundreds, possibly thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of light years. And we are, we humanity is in a, is trying to find more of them. 
there are there's another dominant race, the Path, who uh, have the the economic strangle well not stranglehold the supremacy over the rest of the of the uh, the spiral by their high speed uh, star drive the Teleriac that is faster than anybody else's so they got all the choice trade routes and all of that so we are in kind of a race with the path to find more of these portals figure out how they work anything we can figure out about them. Uh, so that is the the heart of the series, and we're following uh, a, a couple, uh, Gregory Rourke and his Cadolian uh, 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 partner, Celine, who started out as bounty hunters, uh, became crockets looking for habitable planets to for people to buy in the, in the galaxy, and have now been co-opted by the Icarus group to help them find more of these portals. So that's the the back of the uh, of the book blurb type of thing to set you up as to what exactly we're doing. Awesome. So it's a fair amount of politics. There's some military. There's a lot of puzzle box stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rourke is one of those guys who likes to think his way out of trouble rather than shoot if he can. Uh, and generally, there's supposed to be a lot of fun to read. There were a lot, certainly a lot of fun to write. Yeah. So speaking of. Um... Oh, fun to write. Do, is there a, a character, maybe other than the main characters, that you uh, really enjoyed writing or, or just enjoyed in general? Uh, when you're doing a first-person story like uh, this, the main character, your point-of-view character, is always the most fun to write. He's a slightly sardonic, uh, not quite hard-boiled, maybe soft-boiled detective type. Mm-hmm. He sprinkles his conversation with, as my father used to say, and pops off with some of these. Uh, my son, who does freelance copy editing and, and uh, proofreading, did the copy editing for these. And after the first book, he said, I'm really looking forward to meeting Rourke's father. Mm-hmm. I had not thought about bringing him in, but he shows up in uh, a couple books down the line. Well, I, I agree with him. I would like to meet his father because these these sayings are um, f- fun, funny, and pragmatic. And, yeah. and uh, so I, I really and they're not like he he doesn't just repeat every other saying you've ever heard. They're they're different and they're very pragmatic, and I enjoy that. As an example, one that I just somebody wanted me to write it in a book, so I've got this fresh in mind. As my father used to say, "A bird in the hand is worth a thousand in." Uh, in a tree, two towns over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I enjoy that. As my father used to say, "Time is like money; you can't lend out or get back." That's right. Yeah. So a lot about these little uh, quirky things, but there, there's an element of truth in each one of them. Yeah. So, um, it, and there's a lot. Of, well, I say a lot, but there's there's some um, uh, pop cultural references and stuff um, kind of peppered uh, throughout the book. So when, where and when is this setting? This is probably three, four hundred years in the future. Humanity has a, a group of colonies and, and human worlds called the Commonwealth interspersed with a whole bunch of other aliens. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of planets we, do, we visit, we talk about and such. A lot of them are probably colony type things with maybe a few million people on or a few million people, humans and aliens. So not like we've got Earth full, 
earthful planets everywhere. Uh, but it's it's rather spread out. Uh, we've got uh, you've got the military. We've got uh, interactions with other other species and such. So it's a very it's a, it's an expansive universe. It's it's really probably only a few hundred, maybe a few thousand light years across that we know about, and where all of us are living at this point. So call it call it four, five, three, four, five hundred years in the future. Okay, awesome. And um, and so you were talking about the the portals uh, that they they've discovered. Do we do we know um, who made these portals? Are they naturally occurring or they're not natural? Uh, wait for it. Yeah. Okay. We're we're going to un we're going to unwrap this mystery in the books down the line. I love there will it. Be six of them total. Icarus uh, twin is the second. Okay. The order is Icarus plot, Icarus twin, Icarus job, uh, uh, Icarus changeling, Icarus needle, and then Icarus coda. Oh wow! Uh, no, that's I'm excited now. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, that's good because uh, I, I love all of, all of them except coda are done. Oh wow! Uh, I had a lot of opening in my schedule, so everything, I, and I've got the outline for CODA, and that's going to be the, probably the next thing on, or the second thing on my, my list of things to do starting about now. So you got, you got almost all of them turned in? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Uh, so, um, and uh, so with, with that being said, when do, when do we expect the next installment? Uh, I believe Icarus job is due out in March. Oh, that's fast. All right. And Changeling, I think, is scheduled for July. Yeah, uh, Bane is, is uh, bringing them out in fairly rapid succession. That's real, especially for traditional publishing. That's real fast. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I wonder if total speculation, but I wonder if Eric Flynn's death opened up holes in the schedule and since mm -hmm. were ready, they could be put in. Possible. Yeah. Pure, pure speculation, but whenever yeah. you lose an author, there are going to be bound to be ripples through the publishing uh, schedule and all of that. Right. Well, um, no, I'm, I'm excited uh, about this. And in, in fact, uh, I have a, a couple of your books uh, that are on my, my list. I'm, I'm going through a timeline of, of Star Wars. I'm doing them in uh, chronological, and I haven't gotten to yours yet because I haven't. I'm, I'm not that far down the timeline yet, but it's on the list. The words um, wait until you're ready. It's a great well, thing about words. Yes. 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 They, and you can always uh, read them again. There's a, a couple of series that I'm going back to read, but um, so let's. Um, so if, if you want, can without you know giving too much away catch us up from the 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 first book uh to this one or or do you like you you were saying earlier didn't really uh need it because you could read them individually mm -hmm. um uh, do you you saying you don't necessarily need to read the first book to uh read the well, second back up starting with Icarus plot it's it's a six book saga that are all intertwined so you really should read them in in, in that order okay the history of this, I can throw this in. Um, back in 2020, when all the conventions closed down, and I found out I had lots of extra time on my hands. Uh, 
I was trying, I, I had an idea for a sequel to the Icarus hunt, which had eluded me for 20 years, uh, worked up an outline, uh, showed it to my agent. He said, the problem with a sequel that late is that you're going to have problems with people who haven't read the original or haven't read it in a long time. The better approach is to take the same universe and add new protagonists. Mm. So that was what I did. Uh, the original protagonists do show up in this series, uh, but they are more side characters uh, dealing in the background and such. Uh, Rourke and Celine became my new protagonists. And with the new characters, suddenly I had a whole sequence of where this story can go, which is why we're up to six books uh, for the saga. Uh, you need to start with Icarus plot for this series, but you don't have to have read Icarus Hunt, the okay. year old one. Uh, so, yeah, you do need this series. You do need to, to, to read them in order, or you'll have trouble. You know. So, uh, without giving away too much from um, Icarus plot, um, what what can you catch us up on uh, without giving away too much? Um. Or is it just way too plot, much? Plot is where uh, Rourke and Celine get sort of hijacked first by the path and then by the Icarus group into this whole uh, under under the uh, under the table operation that both sides are playing. Uh, we wind up with a lot of continuing characters. One of uh, we we certainly have three of the major characters from Icarus Hunt show up in first supporting and then you know, woven into the saga. But we also pick up uh, a path subdirector, one of the high people in the, uh, the path organization and, and culture, and uh, some of what are called expediters. They are kind of the fix-it men, the, the 007s or whatever uh, that the path use to get jobs done. So we've got a nice intermix. We've got Rourke and Celine having to deal with this uh, subdirector NASC. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got some interesting politics and, and such going on uh, with the characters. Rourke not being part of anything really official, he got co-opted into this, has more, shall we say, freedom of movement, freedom of action mm -hmm. uh, than somebody who was official would have. And that comes into play as well. So uh, and so they started out as bounty hunters, yeah. And, and now, what did you say they were? Oh. They're, they're trailblazers. The colloquial term is Crockett, Crockett, Crockett. Okay. Uh, who go out. There are planets that have been you know, a probe has gone by. It's got water and oxygen. Mm -hmm. They go in to drop probes into the uh, upper atmosphere, pick out any seeds, uh, spores, anything to see if there are possibilities for colonization on this planet. Uh, it's not as good a living as bounty hunting, but you don't get shot at nearly as often. Uh, yeah, there was a, a badly, a, uh, a mission that sort of uh, turned very sour that's referred to in Icarus plot that uh, got them out of the bounty hunting business. Uh, but they still have that skill set and that shows up periodically as well. And um, so his um, his teammate or his partner, um, Celine, 
Yes. Uh, and what race is she? She is Cadolian. It's a very rare species. There aren't very many known. Her One of her big assets is Cadolians have an incredibly sensitive sen uh, sense of smell. Mm. Uh, they can sort out various uh, odors and such. In fact, if someone has touched a wall within the last two, three, four days, she can often pick up that scent. It's like super bloodhound. Uh, I've heard that uh, certain bears can smell fish underwater and mm -hmm. i think i heard a polar bear can smell a seal 40 miles away yeah. so uh there are precedents for this in the real world but that is one of the strengths she brings to the team uh was always good as bounty hunting and equally good in uh, trailblazing and uh something comes into uh to play in their search for portals as well yeah and, and i um and I, I liked how they how you used it through the book and their interactions and, and stuff like that, cause, uh, you know, smelling emotions and, yeah. and and things like that it was very, very interesting. Uh, and I could see it being uh, very handy, you know. Uh, so what and one just one other thing. Celine is not just a set of nostrils. She is also a very important part of their their team mm -hmm. she is smart she is clever when they're doing probes she's usually flying the ship while work mm -hmm. has the the probes and such so uh she is not just a lightweight appendage uh this is a true partnership which is yeah. the kind of group i like to write yeah um almost uh, you know like uh but you know not a buddy comedy but but you know uh the teammates, the the team that comes together and and yeah. in order to complete the mission, I do enjoy those. Yeah. Um, what and now, what does she look like? You described it in the book, but uh, for the people that don't know, I describe her as pure white hair, um, gray. I think it's gray slitted cat's eyes. Um, she uses her nostrils for a sense of smell, but also flutters her eyelashes that can pick up trace elements as well. Uh, for the way the uh, the artist came up with how she looks, you see the cover of the Icarus plot. Mm -hmm. Oh I, yeah. yeah. I give minimal description usually of uh, my characters and let the artists who have the that talent uh, fill in the rest. Yeah. Um, and uh, for, for you all who are gonna read this book, uh, you're gonna if you if you like a you know a good mystery, some action, uh, things like that. You're gonna you're gonna like this one, and and it's got an, uh, enough comedy uh, in it to to be fun. I, lo I love the um, the pop culture references. That's kind of what made me ask is like where was this set because it, uh, you're gonna you're gonna recognize a lot of the references. So some of the references I figure will last, and there are some where somebody will make a reference to something French or something and work has no idea what he's talking about. So the, the higher culture stuff, he has no clue. Some of the more uh, lingering pop things will, will have survived through the centuries. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I always enjoy this. Um, uh, whenever I see it is when uh, they use uh, fake names that, unless you've lived on a rock, you should know it's a fake name. <laughs> but, uh, but, and that's what's funny about it is that the moron in front of them doesn't realize it's a fake name, you know? So it's, uh, I always enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so, have a good sense of humor and yes. uh, do enjoy 
again, a lot of the stuff that you would have to do as bounty hunters, not just the combat and tracing, but also the sifting of information, getting information from people, etc. All of that comes into play with uh, the, their work for the Icarus group. Yeah, and uh, I do, and it's it's not it's not over the top. It's just enough. I do love a good smartass. <laughs> yes. You know, and and just the right amount. Because if they're doing it every five seconds, then you know it loses its punch. But it's just the right amount. You know. <laughs> and there are some fun. There's some lines that are just fun to write. Uh, one of my favorites in Icarus Twin is when he's confronting someone who's expecting a big promotion, and the guy said, you know. And, and he's saying, no, it's because you screwed up so badly over this whole thing that they're going to have no choice but to fire you. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, oh, and uh, more about the characters. The the um, oh, I'm blanking on their names. The two little uh, characters that go up on his shoulder. Yes. Uh, the uh, Ixel, he is a Calyx, uh, uh, and they have... They carry on their shoulders two ferret-sized animals mm. who are able to, they're, they're called outriders. Their claws will dig into Ixel's shoulders, connect with his nervous system, mm -hmm. and they can upload their memories and he can download orders to them. Uh, in the days gone by, the outriders were kind of the scouts for for Calyx uh, Erie. Uh, hunters and such. More modern era, uh, uh, Ixel is, is the engineer on Jordan McKell's ship, and these uh, outriders are often used to go through conduits and check wiring and such that nobody else can get into. It's easier and faster than the camera. They go through it, come back, link in, download their memories, and Ixel can see what was going on. He can send them on specific missions, um, they are a lot of fun to write just as an asset. Uh, their names are Picks and Packs. Yes. And in the Calyx language, that's those rhyme. Don't ask me how, but Picks and Packs rhyme the way Cadolian or the way uh, uh, Calyx Siri see it. Yeah. Um, so going to the, the the plot of the book, um, it's it's a great mystery. How they and you know how they evolve um, through figuring uh, things out through the book. What uh, what can you talk about uh, as far as the plot goes, just to sink the hooks into a would be reader? Uh, it it starts with Rourke getting a message from his contact at the Icarus Group. There is a guy um, uh, that's Easton Dent. Mm -hmm. has been searching online references for Icarus and uh, Rourke. And they don't know why. They don't know what he knows, if he knows anything about the, the Icarus portals, if he, knows, if he knows Rourke. Rourke doesn't recognize the name. But his search has gotten the attention of the path. And the Icarus group wants Jordan to contact him, uh, not Jordan, uh, uh, Rourke to contact him, find out what he knows, if he knows anything, and just go on from there. You're the one he's trying to find, you contact him. 
Actually, maybe um, let me paint that straighter. We've contacted him in your name. So your meeting is set up with him here and so soon. Mm -hmm. Head on over there and, and uh, meet him. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole situation, of course, degenerates from that point, as as things do in these books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good mystery, and it was uh, uh, it was well worth the read to ferret it out. It was it was I enjoyed it. Um, so uh, we missed this at the beginning of the show, uh, but since we're kind of in the middle here, uh, where can for the uninitiated, where can people find you online? Best way to to, to find your whole catalog of books and and maybe uh, get in contact with you. Uh, Amazon will have the full list. Bain Books will have with their list. Del Rey, Random House, uh, the Star Wars books and such. Um, I don't have a website. I've got a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Timothy's on. Um, I don't answer most of the messages I get. I just don't have time, but I read all of them. So yeah. uh, if you have a question, uh, you can you can pop it in there. Uh, I, I give updates on when a book is about to be published or sometimes when something has just been purchased, uh, upcoming convention uh, appearances and that sort of thing. So that's the best way to keep track of what I'm up to, uh, scheduling and all that. Uh, I don't do, I don't do the daily. This is what I've been doing today, and here's what I've been eating. It just when I've got a convention to add in or uh, a publication or something, uh, it's it's news rather than just this is my life. Everybody has their own life. This is mine. You don't need to hear about mine. You mean you don't take a picture of all your food and upload it? Nope. <laughs> However, we have uh, we've had a cat for oh, a year and a couple of months, and our son will take pictures of her pretty much constantly whenever she's looking cute, which for a cat is mostly all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I would imagine you can't respond to everybody as much as you get hit up on there. It would be it would be impossible. You wouldn't have time to write. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, with that, um, uh, people who haven't found you online yet, what uh, can you entice us with any uh, future projects uh, that you might have coming up? Yeah, I haven't announced them yet because uh, it's still not quite finished. Uh, but we are, I have talked to Open, Open Road Media has a lot of my older books that were out of print for many years, uh, uh, a lot of the early books, etc. We have just, uh, we're discussing with them three new collections of stories. One of them will be stories that have never been collected in any other form, no other, no, no collections, etc. cetera. Um, there is one that will be older stories, things that have not been collected since probably the uh, mid nineties. So a lot of people were not even born when those came out. Uh, there's a couple, there are a couple of series uh, in that one uh, called the Hive Mind series. I did three stories on that. And one was the um, oh, shadow stories where there is this sort of thing that grows up around technology on, on colony planets. So you can't have very much technology because the, the shadow is very debilitating to the human psyche. 
those each had three stories. I'm writing a fourth that'll close off that series for both of those. So that'll be in one of the collection along with a few other stories. And then finally, there's the, the, the series I did of three stories about, they call the distant telepaths. Uh, hmm. They are, they can contact each other up to close to a thousand miles apart. But if they get within a hundred miles, they start basically like you're talking to somebody you can't, uh, you can't shut out each other's mind. If you get closer, the metal strain starts becoming harder. And in theory, at 20 miles apart, you both die, go insane and die. So uh, they can read human thoughts eh, to, you know, three to five to 20 feet away. But they can't ever be close to each other because there's this limitation. It's sort of like the difference between a candle and a you know, arc mm -hmm. light, arc, flood, arc floodlight, carbon arc floodlight. Um, each, that one had three stories, and I've written a fourth to close off that series as well. So that'll be its own collection. It'll be a shorter one, but it'll uh, be its own. So we've got three collections upcoming next year. Uh, we've got, we mentioned the other Icarus books. Um, there is another Basil and Mobius collection in the works. Uh, Ryan Schifrin uh, is working on those. I will probably have a couple stories in that. That one has just been set up, so probably not till the end of the, end of the year. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, Star Wars fans, uh, you probably know, but the my book, uh, Thrawn Alliances, uh, is being adapted to comic form. Uh, we've got four issues confirmed and hoping to get more uh, to, to do the whole whole story. But the first issue of that comes out in January. I've seen the the art and it's gorgeous. So uh, working on that, um, there is a new. Well, it's an it's an old book, and again, I have not announced it yet. I probably will after the after the holidays. Uh, I did a techno thriller back oh around the turn of the of the century called cloak mm. about uh here's the elevator pitch um a uh, tactical nuclear weapon is stolen from an indian research facility at the same time in california the three scientists who, who've invented the fir world's first cloak of invisibility are murdered and their four sample cloaks stolen the perpetrators are planning an assassination using the nuke and the cloaks. The authorities have no idea the two incidents are connected. They've got 10 days to stop it. So we did this, as I say, 20 odd years ago. It's been picked up again uh, by Ethan Press. We've changed the title to Cloaked Deception because otherwise you run afoul of the Amazon, uh, uh, what do you call it? Algorithm. Algorithm, yes. Uh, so it'll be coming out. It's essentially the same book. If you've read it, it's been re-edited. But uh, if you've read it before, you don't need to buy it again. But for those who have been looking for it and haven't been able to find it, uh, that'll be coming out uh, next year as well. Um, boy, I think that's just about it. That should probably do this for a bit, though. <laughs> well, that's enough. You're, you're busy. You're pretty prolific. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, at some, point, at some point when David Weber gets his schedule clear, and who knows when that'll be with yeah. David, yeah. we have the fifth 
ultimately the fifth and sixth books of the Manticore Ascendant series to, to uh, work on. So I need to probably also early next year nudge David and find out what he's what his stuff is looking at. We've got an outline for the fifth book. We just have to sort out who's doing which part and then actually get to it. Awesome. Well, you're you're a busy man. I'm, I'm, I can see why you don't have a website. It's too much to keep up with. Yeah. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, uh, Thrawn, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very excited. I uh, I, I did watch uh, Ahsoka, mm -hmm. and uh, I I am enthusiastic uh, for next season. And uh, so I have have uh, what what do you think without getting yourself in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's easy not to get in trouble because I don't know anything. We've talked, I've talked a couple of times with uh, Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau, but all the future stuff is still uh, always in motion, the future is. Uh, they've been busy, I've been busy. The two strikes did not help things at all. Right. Uh, we'll touch base with them again early next year and find out what's going on, uh, if they're going to, to want to discuss anything with me, uh, bring me aboard in any way, shape, or form. But all of this is uh, resting on them and their schedule, and they're even busier than I am. So, uh, yeah. so I'm looking forward at least to seeing what they do with Thrawn in the, in the upcoming series, and uh, looking forward to seeing what Filoni does with the movie he's been uh, scheduled to helm. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what, what comes of that as well. So a lot of, lot of things happening, a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of irons that are kind of waiting to put, put into the fire. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Oh, I'm also talking with a group about a Cobra comic graphic novel that uh, I came up with uh, some years ago, and we are still discussing whether, whether and how we want to do that. So mm -hmm. those, it's a, a new story about the, the Cobra Warriors. I've got nine books. This is something that picks off a different direction. Uh, they've had their weapons implanted in them, so they're sort of the secret agents. They're the, uh, the, the uh, resistance that was, were, were scheduled for a war. And this series, would, uh, the graphic novel and anything we do beyond that, it's a lone cobra who accidentally winds up on a an occupied world. He wants to get back. They want him to help spark some kind of resistance against their their conquerors. And uh, it, it was an interesting comic I did again years ago. Nothing came of it, but I'm talking with an, a, a couple of, of people now about whether we can bring this to some kind of uh, actual publication. So again, something to stay tuned for. Ah, yeah, you are a busy man. Um, so, um, how what was it like to see one of uh, one of your creations brought to life on the screen? Uh, it, now, is this your, your is is this your first one uh, to be on screen, or you've had others? Uh, Thrawn was in the animated Star Wars Rebel series as well for two seasons. Right. So that was right. kind of his first appearance. Appearance. This is his first uh, live action. Right. We did not get to see much of him in the last couple of episodes, but they've got the potential. There is a whole bunch of stuff that I was not expecting, uh, just with the witches and the new galaxy and all that. So mm -hmm. there's all sorts of interesting, poss excuse me, possibilities where uh, Filoni and Favreau to go. 
I'm looking forward to seeing exactly where they take this story and what they do with Thrawn. That's very good because I I know if, well I'm not a writer but uh, if I ever saw something I created on on the screen I would just lose my mind but uh, <laughs> but uh, that and I did watch the animated series it was very good. You did a very good job with that. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that, where can people uh, see you in real life? Uh, I forgot to bring my calendar in. In March, I'm at Collective Con in um, Jacksonville, Florida. In, I think it is June, I'm at Washington State Summer Con in Puyallup, just south of Seattle. And I've got probably six or seven, maybe eight conventions that I've been invited to. Haven't sorted out which ones I'm going to yet, uh, but I'll be I'll be in various places around the country. Best guess is uh, ten or eleven places this year. So uh, again, when the convention announces me, I'll start. I, I will announce it on my Facebook page and. We've got a banner at the top of uh, the Facebook page that my wife puts where the conventions are going to be. So you've got a, a handy crib sheet and then the featured post has links to the, the convention sites and such. So uh, just drop in on Facebook. That's where you get information about me that's coming from us. Well, uh, I am very excited to read the, the rest of your books because this one uh, and and pardon my ignorance, but this is my first one of your books that I've, that I've read, but it has enticed me to read all of your books. And I know that's a huge catalog, but I'm going to start to work on it. As I uh, said, the words will wait till you're ready. <laughs> and um, so um, with, uh, with Icarus Twin, what, um, what did you enjoy the most about uh, writing this book? Is it, you know, the characters, the mystery, what, what, uh, what did you enjoy about uh, writing it? It's, it's all of it put together. The working out of the mystery or the puzzle box or the, the interactions of characters, watching the relationships and character arcs uh, and plot arcs developing along the way, um, seeing how, okay, this fits into Icarus plot this way, but it also sets up Icarus job and, you know, continuing characters. How can I use them? Where is the next logical step for this saga to go? Mm -hmm. uh, the whole plotting out the, the Uber plotting, the, uh, not just for the given book, but also the series as a whole, where is this going to go? Where do I want to end it? Uh, there are some details of the last book that are still a little bit iffy, but I know where it ends. I know where the saga ends. So, um, and I think it'll be a satisfying ending for the reader. Uh, just putting ever, all the pieces together. That's the fun part. The work comes in translating it from here into English on the page. That's that's the work part. The the developing it and the working out of the mystery and the clues and all of that. That's the fun. Uh, can we, uh, other than meeting um, uh, the main character's father with all the sayings, yes. is there is there anything, um, not that you have already done, but something that you would like to show people 
uh, in the future besides the, the main storyline. Is something in this series? Yeah, something or yeah, or in general, but uh, yeah, in this series, you know, something that's going to be, you know, maybe fun for you, maybe fun for the readers. Uh, that's not maybe not necessarily a part of the main plot. Because meeting the dad is going to be pretty fun, I think. Yes, yes. Nothing comes to mind. Uh, you know, I focus on the main plot. The little side things show up in the writing. I know, you know, that it, 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 um, when and the now I'm <laughs> going from Chattanooga to Denver. Okay, mm -hmm. I know I'm going to end up in Denver. Uh, I know most of the route. However, someplace along the line, oh, the world's largest ball of string is off to 20 miles away. I'm going to go stop by that. Mm -hmm. So the route can change, but I know I'm going to end in Denver. So that is the, the way I, I think of the book. A lot of little side trips may happen if they can not just, no, not connected, but connected in some way to the storyline. But the goal is to get all the pieces in place, all the, the character development in place, and bring it to a nice conclusion in Denver, at which point I start thinking about, okay, the next leg of the trip is going to take me to Vegas type of thing, and then figure out how that works, and ultimately end up in Seattle <laughs> so by, this, by this analogy. That's a great analogy. No, it makes sense. Uh, and, I, and I always ask this when I, when I speak to authors, um, have you, and not necessarily in this series, but uh, when you're 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 writing something and you've come up with something and uh, and kind of like the the character takes over, it's like oh the, that character wouldn't wouldn't do that, you know, and then the character kind of starts talking to you and you have to change the story. Does that happen to you often? Almost never. Um, okay. I I am the director. The actors do what I tell them to. They can give me suggestions. <laughs> And sometimes those are good suggestions, but I, I don't think I've ever had a character take over. Okay. Uh, it's just, I, I know who they are. I know what they're supposed to do. And again, sometimes, sometimes a character will go from being minor to a bit more major. Uh, that, that is the suggestion of the character uh, mm -hmm. there. Uh, but no, I've, I, I hear writers all the time talking about, well, the character just took over the story. Well, I think that means you didn't know where it was going in the first place <laughs> or, or you came up with a better direction to, to take it, which also often, often happens. Uh, but no, nobody's taken over. Um, they get fired if that happens. I hear that. Oh, uh, but you know, I, I know pretty much where the story is going to go when I start and what the character roles are going to be. And if they change, it's because I fine-tuned the idea and fine-tuned the character a little bit. And uh, generally, that's better than what I originally envisioned. So th that's a good thing. The subconscious is often working ahead of where my conscien conscious mind and my fingers, my typing fingers, are going. Yeah, a lot of times when I talk to authors and I ask that question, uh, they refer to them as the voices in their head that <laughs> that took over and brought them to the final uh, story. <laughs> no, no, we, 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 we have an agreement. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like Tchaikovsky said, uh, paraphrase, that uh, I will sit down with my piano at, at 9 o'clock. The muses are expected to join me there. Yes. So, uh, yeah. We have a schedule, I and the muses and the uh, the characters. Yeah. Well, um, 
I think that's a that's a great way to to end this one on on that note. Uh, I really do appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy man, and I appreciate your time. And uh, for for those who haven't read it yet, this is this is a great book. It's a, it's going to be a great series, and the fact that it's coming out so quickly is very very exciting. Um, and uh, it was it was a good read. Now I I have to go and read the first book uh, so that I can get caught up. But uh, and and a lot of your books are on my list now, and 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 I will thank them for waiting for me. <laughs> I will. I hope you will enjoy them. I'm sure I will. But um, uh, last time uh, for uh, people who are uninitiated, go uh, follow uh, Timothy Zahn on uh, Facebook. Uh, go on Amazon, rate, like, review uh, the books. It really helps out the authors. Um, and uh, and go to his back catalog and, and catch up because uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. And I'm excited to see that you're bringing some stuff back uh, from the past. So that's going to be exciting too. It should be an interesting year coming up. Yeah, you sound busy. You sound really, really busy. Well, um, do your best to stay out of trouble. And I, uh, again, I really do appreciate you uh, <laughs> coming on. Yeah. And on um, solo. Yeah, me? No? Okay. Uh, but um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and hopefully we get to, to chat again. And uh, people, if you can uh, find them in, in real life, go check them out and uh, definitely check out the books. And uh, thanks again. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And uh, until next time, we'll, we'll talk to you all later. Good night. And now we bring you our audiobook serialization of Tinker by Wynn Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near-future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the Elven Court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. At Toulouse, she found an elfin jacket. Or at least on an elf it was a jacket. On her it was a duster, coming down nearly to her ankles. The sleeves were slightly long, but she could fold them back. A mottled gold silk, it had a purple iris hand painted on the back. She fell in love with it, but could find nothing to compliment it. So she took her hover bike into Pittsburgh in search of an older self. Kaufman's was a Pittsburgh tradition, the oldest department store located downtown. It had withstood flood, suburbia, the invasion of foreign department stores, and being transported into the Fay realms. I need some clothes to make me look more mature, she told the saleswoman in an area marked women's, who pointed her firmly toward petites. She found a push-up bra that made the most of her chest, a clingy black slip dress, and high-heeled shoes. I need a cut that makes me look older, she told the hairstylist, who eyed her hacked hair with slight dismay. Did you tattoo yourself, sweetheart? 
the stylist asked, gingerly touching Windwolf's mark on Tinker's forehead. Um, uh, it's a long story. Remembering Nathan's reaction to the mark, Tinker raked her hair forward with her fingers. Is there any way I can cover this with my bangs? What bangs? The stylist found the longest lock and pulled it forward to show that it fell short of the mark. Sweetheart, at this point, all you can do is wear it proudly. In the end, the stylist could do little more than even out the length of her hair and then rub a gel into it so it stood up in little spikes. It's retro chic, the stylist chanted. Very elegant. The makeover woman eyed Windwolf's mark and pronounced it extremely cool. Is there anything that will cover it up? The woman laughed again. Not without an inch or two of concealer. Why would you want to? It becomes you. It makes you look very exotic looking. The guy I'm dating tonight doesn't like it. The woman swabbed the mark with cleanser and shook her head. He better learn to like it. It's there to stay. Can you make me look older then, like I was in my 20s? Why does every woman under 20 want to look over it, and every other woman in the world wants to look under it? She re-soaked the cotton ball, took Tinker's face in one hand, and started to clean her face gently. Men, that's why. Honey, don't be in a rush to change for a man. You might make him happy, but most likely only at the cost of making yourself miserable. You've got wonderful skin, she cooed. I've got freckles. The makeup woman tisked. Here's the secret, honey. You've got what men want. You're young and pretty and nicely padded in all the right places. You might be saying, oh, my hair isn't down to my ankles, I have freckles, and my ears aren't pointed. But men see the chest, the hips, the butt, and the pretty face in that order and little else. You can have any man in this city, so take your time and be picky. Make him work to get you. Perched on a bar stool, Tinker spent nearly two hours and nearly a hundred dollars learning the arcane skill of applying makeup and dealing with men. To some degree, she managed to achieve looking older than her real self. How much older, she wasn't sure, but she felt a little wiser in the ways of the world. She detoured on her way back to her bike for condoms and a can of mace for protection, just in case of any emergencies. It wasn't until then that she remembered Riki. That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to audible.com and podcast theme composer, Ruth Judkowitz. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars.